Welcome to Home Space and Reason, a podcast about creating a home that thrives. Hi there, I'm Christina Browning, your host. If you know your home could be so much more than it is, I discuss home functionality, aesthetics, and automation. I'm a realtor in Portland, Oregon, and a home functionality coach nationwide. I geek out on every subject imaginable regarding your home and yard, challenging you to think of your space differently to get the most out of every square foot, no matter if you reside in 4,500 square feet or 350. I pose questions for you to think through about your space and your reason. This podcast is all positive, offering you virtual fist bumps and celebrating every win. Remember, there's no such thing as perfect, but you can still aim for your best every day. Join me on social media by searching for the handle space and reason. In this episode, let's discuss home functionality and a little automation. I think about space as in the space within the walls where we live a lot more than the average person. And one thing I know for sure is that healing the planet starts in your habits, in your garage, in your kitchen, and at your dining room table. This isn't the type of subject that's warm and fuzzy, but I challenge you to listen all the way through and execute on the steps because it will make you feel proud and part of our solution instead of part of our problem. Record floods, raging storms, deadly heat compounding massive fires. Climate change manifests itself in so very many ways, and it's the ultimate equalizer, a challenge faced by every living being. We either have experienced these things firsthand, know someone who has, or seen them on our nightly news. Here are the basics on what causes climate change, how it's affecting the planet, and 10 things you can personally do about it in your home. As a realtor and home functionality coach, my job is to help you think of your space differently. It can still be beautiful and environmentally friendly. It doesn't have to be an either or scenario. You don't have to be a minimalist who has 30 items in their entire home, but you also don't have to go buy a new outfit every week. There's middle ground there. There is so much improvement to be had in us all. Originally, people built furniture for homes that were absolutely utilitarian. We need a table that we can eat on. We need chairs to sit at the table. We need a bed to sleep. But as time progressed and we started having expendable income, we got bigger homes. Suddenly, keeping up with the Joneses was a thing, and we got to a point where we were just filling space out of habit. But I feel like humans are now backpedaling a bit and taking a second look at how much space we each need and what impact that space and our purchases have on our earth. How much do we actually need to consume And what does it matter anyway? I'm only one person. If you'll hang with me for the next handful of minutes, I'll explain. The National Resources Defense Council was founded in New York in 1970 by a group of law students and attorneys at the forefront of the environmental movement. They work to safeguard the earth, its people, its plants and animals, and the natural systems on which all life depends. I referred in part to their website for much of my data to ensure accuracy here. 
first, let's get our terms straight. Carbon dioxide is the climate's worst enemy. It's released when oil, coal, and other fossil fuels are burned for energy, the energy we use to power our homes, cars, and smartphones. And by using less of it, we can curb our own contribution to climate change while also saving money. The term climate refers to the general weather conditions of a place over many years. And in the United States, for example, Maine's climate is cold and snowy in the winter, while South Florida's is tropical year-round. Climate change is a significant variation of average weather conditions, say conditions becoming warmer, wetter, or drier over several decades or more. It's that longer-term trend that differentiates climate change from just natural weather variability. And while climate change and global warming are often used interchangeably, global warming, the recent rise in the global average temperature near the Earth's surface, is just one aspect of climate change. When energy from the sun is reflected off the earth and back into space, mostly by clouds or ice, or when the earth's atmosphere releases energy, the planet cools. When the earth absorbs the sun's energy or when atmospheric gases prevent heat released by the earth from radiating into space, which is the greenhouse effect, the planet warms. A variety of factors, both natural and human, can influence the Earth's climate system. The greenhouse gas emissions we generate are the leading cause of the Earth's rapidly changing climate. Greenhouse gases play an important role in keeping the planet warm enough to inhabit. And here's where it gets dicey. The amount of these gases in our atmosphere has skyrocketed in recent decades. According to the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, concentrations of carbon dioxide, methane, and nitrous oxides have increased to levels unprecedented in at least the last 800,000 years. Let's discuss specifics on where the main issues are. Number one, the burning of fossil fuels like coal, oil, and gas for electricity, heat, and transportation is the primary source of human-generated emissions. Number two, deforestation, which releases sequestered carbon into the air. It's estimated that logging, clear-cutting, fires, and other forms of forest degradation contribute up to 20% of carbon emissions. Number three, other human activities that generate air pollution includes fertilizer use, a primary source of nitrous oxide emissions, livestock production, like cattle, buffalo, sheep, and goats, and certain industrial processes that release fluorinated gases. Though our planet's forests and oceans absorb greenhouse gases from the atmosphere through photosynthesis and other processes, these natural carbon sinks can't keep up with our rising emissions. The resulting buildup of greenhouse gases is causing alarmingly fast warming worldwide. It's estimated that the Earth's average temperature rose by about one degree Fahrenheit during the 20th century. And I know it doesn't sound like much, but consider this. When the last ice age ended and the northeastern U.S. was covered by more than 3,000 feet of ice, average temperatures were just five to nine degrees cooler than they are now. As the Earth's atmosphere heats up, it collects, retains, and drops more water, changing weather patterns and making wet areas wetter and dry areas drier. Higher temperatures worsen and increase the frequency of many types of disasters, including storms, floods, heat waves, and droughts. 
Obviously, these events can have devastating and costly consequences, jeopardizing access to clean drinking water, fueling out-of-control wildfires, damaging property, creating hazardous material spills, polluting the air, and, and of course leading to the loss of life. A warmer atmosphere also holds more moisture and therefore it rains more. In the Northeast, the most extreme storms generate approximately 27% more moisture than they did just a century ago. Basically, because of global warming, when it rains, it pours, for real. Such was the finding of a study by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration examining the record-breaking rainfall that landed on Louisiana in 2016, causing devastating flooding. The study determined that these rains were at least 40% more likely and 10% more intense because of climate change. Olga McKissick's home in Louisville, Kentucky flooded five times before she received a buyout through the Federal Emergency Management Agency's buyout program. Most homeowners who want a FEMA-funded buyout have to wait more than five years to get one. So when considering where you might move next, please take this risk seriously. According to the World Health Organization, climate change is expected to cause approximately 250,000 additional deaths per year between 2030 and 2050. That's just 10 years from now. As global temperatures rise, so do the number of fatalities and illnesses from heat stresses, heat stroke, and cardiovascular and kidney disease. As air pollution worsens, so does respiratory health. Can you imagine what this would do to the 300 million people that already live with asthma? Severe storms and flooding can lead to drinking water contamination and storm damage that may compromise basic infrastructure or lead to community displacement. Historical models suggest the likelihood of being displaced by a disaster is now 60% higher than it was four decades ago. And the largest increases in displacement now are driven by weather and climate-related events. As many of you have experienced firsthand, climate change is causing more floods and more damage along our coasts and our inland waterways. It's not only sinking people's homes, but sinking our country's disaster response budget. The National Flood Insurance Program in its current state is $24 billion in debt because it pays out more to rebuild homes after communities are flooded than it can collect in insurance premiums. The Earth's oceans absorb between one-quarter and one-third of our fossil fuel emissions and are now 30% more acidic than they were in pre-industrial times. This acidification poses a serious threat to underwater life, particularly creatures with calcified shells or skeletons like oysters, clams, and coral. It can have a devastating impact on shell fisheries as well as the fish, birds, mammals, all of the things that depend on shellfish for sustenance. Rising ocean temperatures are also altering the range and population of underwater species and contributing to coral bleaching events capable of killing entire reefs, ecosystems that support more than 25% of all marine life. Now let's talk briefly about coastal erosion. I know this affects so many of us that live near the water. David Andrew grew up in Nepekiak, a village on the banks of the Kuskokwim River in southwestern Alaska. The loss of land after a big storm in May 2018 was unlike anything he'd ever experienced. 20 to 30 feet of shoreline disappeared in just a couple of days, wiping out a village's boat landing and threatening the local school and fuel depot. 
it was the fastest erosion he'd ever seen. According to the U.S. Geological Survey, a home that sits in a 100-year storm floodplain actually has a 26% chance of being flooded within 30 years. What? To make matters worse, the adoption of more stringent building codes has been slow, in part because industry groups tend to fight against policy that could make construction more expensive, which I get. More Oklahoma is a great example of a town putting codes into place not based on requirement, but based on the increase in natural disasters. In 2014, the town adopted a new tornado code that borrows engineering technology commonly found in coastal zones, like hurricane clips, for example, that attach to the roof walls and new rafter spacing guidelines. The new code only adds $1.50 to $2 per square foot in costs. Relatively inexpensive, right? So now that we know all this and you're totally sad about it, what can I do in my home right now, right? That's why we're all here. As always, the music means grab a pen and paper. Here's where you can write things down. The number one thing that's the biggest, biggest deal is powering your home. Since home heating and cooling are among the biggest uses of energy, they account for almost half of home energy use. I'm going to divide this topic of heating and cooling into four actionable sections, A, B, C, and D, and one or two may pertain to you depending on your unique home. So let's start with A. At minimum, automate things by getting a smart thermostat. If you've listened to my prior podcasts, you'll remember I discussed this automation in episode four. These internet-connected devices utilize algorithms and sensors to gather and analyze large amounts of heating and cooling data. Temperature adjustments can still be made up or down, but the smart thermostat remembers choices and adjustments and memorizes energy use routines. They can detect when a building is occupied, learn your preferences, and help point the way towards more energy-efficient behavior. The latest smart thermostats feature on-demand response and can reduce energy at peak times of consumption, pricing, and carbon emissions. B. Look into solar panels for your home if you don't already have them. Tax credits allow you to deduct a percentage of the cost of installing a solar energy system from your federal taxes. Now, there's no cap on its value, and in our case, the monthly cost of the solar panels are the same as what our utility bill was currently. Of course, the cost of panels and energy varies greatly from state to state, so I will put a link in to the podcast notes about a website where you can at least have a starting point of how to move forward putting in solar for your energy use. C. Choose a utility company that generates at least half its power from wind or solar and has been certified by Green E Energy. They are an organization that vets renewable energy options. If that's not possible for you, take a look at your electric bill. Many utilities now list other ways to support renewable sources on their monthly statements and websites. Oregon's largest electricity providers, Portland General Electric and Pacific Power, each offer voluntary renewable energy options for their customers. Not surprisingly, these programs are two of the most successful nationwide. In fact, PGE's Voluntary Green Power Program was ranked first in the country in 2017 for the highest number of participants and highest rate of participation. If you're still drawing a blank, 
Community Choice Aggregation, CCA, is a program that allows local governments to procure power on behalf of their residents from an alternative supplier while still receiving transmission and distribution service from their existing utility provider. CCAs are an attractive option for communities that want more green power than is offered by the default utility or actually lower electricity prices. By aggregating demand, communities gain leverage to negotiate better rates with competitive suppliers and choose green power sources. Eight states, California, Illinois, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Rhode Island, and Virginia have enacted community choice aggregation legislation. I will put a link in this podcast to information about that as well. The last one, D, is weatherize, weatherize, weatherize. You can make your space more energy efficient by sealing drafts and ensuring your home is adequately insulated. You can also claim federal tax credits for many energy efficiency home improvements. That was a big topic, but it deserved that much time because it accounts for almost half of home energy use. That's a big deal. Okay, now let's move on to number two. Invest in energy-efficient appliances. Since they were first implemented nationally in 1987, efficiency standards for dozens of appliances and products have kept 2.3 billion tons of carbon dioxide out of the air. That's about the same amount as the annual carbon pollution of nearly 440 million cars. Energy efficiency is the lowest cost way to reduce emissions. When shopping for refrigerators, washing machines, and other appliances, look for the Energy Star label because that's what tells you which ones are the most efficient. Number three, reduce water waste. Saving water reduces carbon pollution too. Why? Well, because it takes a lot of energy to pump, heat, and treat your water. So take shorter showers, turn off the tap while brushing your teeth, and switch to WaterSense label fixtures and appliances. Also, you can wash your clothes in cold water. It takes five times more energy to run a load in your washing machine in hot water. And your clothes might not be getting any cleaner. According to Consumer Reports, today's detergents contain high-power enzymes that kick into action at temperatures as low as 60 degrees. To go the extra mile, line dry a load of clothes every week. Just one dryer load is equivalent to turning on 225 light bulbs for an hour. The EPA estimates that if just one out of every 100 American homes were retrofitted with water-efficient fixtures, about 100 million kilowatt hours of electricity per year would be saved, avoiding 80,000 tons of global warming pollution. Holy buckets, that's a lot. Number four, this is a big one. You can totally control it. Actually eat the food you buy and make less of it meat. Approximately 10% of U.S. energy use goes into growing, processing, packaging, and shipping food, about 40% of which just winds up in the landfill. If you're wasting less food, you're likely cutting down on energy consumption, and since livestock products are among the most resource-intensive to produce, starting Meatless Mondays in your home can have a big impact. When you do eat meat, support local sustainable ranches by shopping at farmer's markets or direct from the farms that are also concerned with reducing their fossil fuel consumption. If you'll remember from one of my earlier podcasts, I suggest using clear containers for storing food. 
glass is the best. That way you can see what you have, which means you'll waste less. How much rotten food do you throw away because you didn't know you had it or you couldn't see it? And if you're anything like me, out of sight, out of mind. Number five, buy better bulbs. I've also done a podcast on this. LED light bulbs use up to 80% less energy than conventional incandescents. They're also cheaper in the long run. A 10-watt LED that replaces your traditional 60-watt bulb will save you $125 over the light bulb's life. Number six, pull the plugs. Let's talk about that. Taken together, the outlets in your home are likely powering about 65 different devices, which is an average load for a home in the United States. Audio and video devices, cordless vacuums, and other electronics use energy even when they're not charging. This idle load across all U.S. households adds up to the output of 50 large power plants in the U.S., Don't leave fully charged devices plugged into your home's outlets. Unplug rarely used devices or plug them into power strips and timers and adjust your computers and monitors to automatically power down to the lowest power mode when not in use. Number seven, drive a fuel-efficient vehicle. Gas-smart cars such as hybrids and fully electric vehicles save fuel and money. Once all cars and light trucks meet 2025's clean car standards, which means averaging 54.5 miles per gallon, they'll be a mainstay for good reason. Relative to the national fleet of vehicles that averaged only 28.3 miles per gallon in 2011, Americans will spend $80 billion less at the pump each year and cut their automotive emissions by half. Before you buy a new car, compare fuel economy. That's a big deal and it's an easy choice to make. Number eight, maintain your vehicle. This part surprised me. I'm going to be honest. If all Americans kept their tires properly inflated, we could save 1.2 billion gallons of gas each year. A simple tune-up can boost miles per gallon anywhere from 4% to 40%, and a new air filter can get you a 10% boost. What? I had no idea until I came across this website that it was that big of a deal to keep your vehicle maintained. Who would have thunk? Certainly not me. Guilty as charged. Number nine. Choosing to live in a walkable or bike-friendly city or town with quality public transportation leads to less driving, less money spent on fuel, and less pollution in the air. Less frequent flying can make a big difference too. Air transport is a major source of climate pollution. If you can take a train instead, do that. If you're a city planner or you know one, push for more walkable and bikeable pathways connecting housing to grocery stores, doctor's offices, and other essential errands. The more we can walk and bike, the healthier our bodies are and the healthier our earth is. Tackling global climate change depends on the efforts of every single human. There's no time to turn the other cheek and learn that was the wrong decision in 20 years from now. 
California, Illinois, Iowa, and other states are getting behind clean energy industries such as solar and wind. Cities like Philadelphia and New York are taking action to mitigate climate change and bolster climate resilience. And in November 2016, hundreds of American companies voiced their support for low emissions policies and the Paris Climate Agreement. Now, without diving into politics, please make your voice be heard. Our voices en masse can make a difference. Did you know that the first Earth Day on April 22nd was in 1970? The passage of the landmark Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act, and Endangered Species Act, and many other groundbreaking environmental laws soon followed. As Maya Angelou would say, when you know better, you do better. And as the 50th anniversary of Earth Day approaches, the time is long overdue for a global outpouring of energy, enthusiasm, and commitment to create a new environmental paradigm. Mark your calendars now and start making preparation in your own home, neighborhood, or community for Earth Day 2020 on April 22nd. Yep, 50 years. I talk about self-talk. And our self-talk for the day could be, I can make a difference in my house every single day by the positive choices I make and the small changes in my behavior. Boyce Thompson, the former editor of Build Magazine and founding editor of Residential Architect Magazine, wrote a book titled Designing for Disaster, Domestic Architecture in the Era of Climate Change. I'll put a link for you in the podcast notes if you geek out on architecture like I do. Lastly, I want to leave you on a happy and uplifting note. In 2015, inspired by the amount of trash created from our daily coffee addictions, co-founder Tom Chan came up with an idea for a new paper coffee cup that eliminates plastic lids because it has a foldable top, creating a lid from the cup itself folding inward. Think origami in cup form. The initial concept got them a lot of attention, winning an International Sustainability Award, getting featured on BBC, Fast Company, and National Geographic. Now it's a full-fledged company called Unicup, and it aims to cut down on the amount of plastic waste that enters the ocean. New York City alone uses roughly 1.1 million pounds of single-use plastic foodware, which includes hot drink lids, every year. So this solution is long overdue. This on-the-go coffee cup is primarily designed to reduce waste, but it's also ergonomic. The entire cup folds into a peak, which becomes an integrated lid. And in an effort to manufacture and distribute the recyclable coffee cups to cafes and restaurants, the designers have launched a Kickstarter campaign, which I will link to in this podcast. They hope to raise $14,500 to help bring their environmentally friendly cups to market. Unicup envisions a future where plastic lids are eliminated for good, preventing them from littering the earth and entering our oceans. And on one more happy note, the food and drink giant Nestle announced it's committed to 100% recyclable packaging for its candy by 2025. The switch to an eco-friendly wrapper for miniature Kit Kats multi-packs in Japan alone, which happens to be the biggest market for Kit Kats, is expected to cut down on roughly 380 tons of plastic each year. Does that blow your mind as much as it does mine? What? Just in Japan? Just Kit Kats? 380 tons of plastic. Yay for positive news. Incorporating time and sanity savers in your life is paramount to keeping stressors at bay. One of those things I swear by is coming up with a menu for the week, shopping for it all at once, 
and that eliminates multiple trips to the store in a week, thereby saving gas and time. Listen to podcast three to learn more about incorporating this time-saving automation into your life. Follow me under the handle at Space and Reason on Instagram and go kick some butt on your one through 10 steps. This podcast was actually delayed a couple of days because the construction happening on our roof right now, we have solar panels going in. Did you know that you can hire me? Yep. If you're really stuck on what to do with one particular space in your home, I have consultations open now via FaceTime. Check out my website, spaceandreason.com and click on the link, Imagine. If you happen to live in the greater metro Portland, Oregon area and you'd like to hire me as your home coach in person or as your realtor, reach out to me through social media, my website, spaceandreason.com or via email, which is Christina, K-R-I-S-T-I-N-A, at spaceandreason.com. If you enjoyed this show, please give me a shout out by rating this episode. It helps me to hear your feedback and choose future topics. Thanks for taking steps to be a good steward of the earth. We must all step up now. I'll meet you back here for the next episode. (laughs) 